C.S. Lewis once said, You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. There's a huge difference between someone making up their mind and a made-up mind. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong, as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. What the church needs now more than ever before is a made-up mind. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. God is looking for people who have determined in their minds to remain faithful, even in the midst of the most trying of circumstances. This week, Charles Tapp continues with part five of his series, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation, as he helps you discover for yourself where you stand and his message with a made-up mind. One of the advantages in preaching a series is that first of all, you have the opportunity to remind those who were not present of what was said in the previous message. And it also gives you an opportunity to reinforce that message with those that were here. For when you have a series, when individuals are not here, it gives you an opportunity to rewind and go back and bring out some of the highlights that you really didn't have time to, to focus on in the previous message. And I do that because repetition helps us to learn, amen? So when we go through a series, it gives us the opportunity to briefly repeat some of the things that we have said, but it also gives us an opportunity to reinforce some others. Now I want to begin today by going back to a portion of the scripture reading that was read corporately on our last message. So let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 1 to verse 4. Look at what Paul says here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey what? The truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by what? The hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Look at verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? And as I say from week to week, whenever we look at the word of God, context is everything. And Paul here is addressing the believers at Galatians, and he begins by calling them foolish. Now, many times when we use the word foolish, we're saying that a person is the product of diminished intelligence. But that's not what Paul was saying here. In essence, Paul is chastising these believers because they have deliberately, willfully chosen to wander from the truth. The truth being in this instance 
their walk with God and how they gained salvation. That it was through the result of the working of the Spirit of God in their lives. So in essence, they had chosen to walk away from the very essence of what the gospel is all about and replace it in their minds, they thought, with a higher level of spirituality. Simply put, no longer do I receive salvation through the Spirit of God from Christ Jesus, but now I can do it through my own human flesh. In other words, they had chosen to abandon the role that the Holy Spirit was to play in their lives. And Paul reminds us about this in his letter to the believers at Philippi. He says in Philippians 2:13, for it is Christ who lives in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And in 1 Philippians, 1 Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, listen, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who began this good work in you shall see it through all the way to his completion in Christ Jesus. So with this in mind, Paul is saying to them, help me out because I'm confused. Didn't you begin your life with Christ by the Spirit of God working in you? How is it that you now think you can continue the Christian walk not by the Spirit of God, but now by your own flesh? Paul says this is a drastic departure, so much so that he asked them the question. He says, are you bewitched? You remember the television show Bewitched, right? Show your age. Raise your hands. Thank you, you're as old as I am. In other words, he was asking, has somebody put a spell on you? Now, I asked the congregation this morning of the 845 service, how many of them remember the song from the 1950s, I Put a Spell on You? Nobody raised their hand. Anybody? Praise God, sister, you saved my life. <laughs> Paul says, what made you turn from walking in the spirit to now thinking you could be saved in your own flesh? There has to be a spell, Johnson, that was put on you. I can't explain it any other way. In John's vision, Jesus reveals a tremendous flaw that is evident not just with the first century believers of Ephesus and Asia Minor, but in the church throughout every age. And that is the absence of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the believer. And if you remember, this is the rebuke that was given to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 that they had abandoned their first love. In other words, the love that they started out with. And as we talked about in our last message, that was just an indication, that was just Jesus' way of saying that they had abandoned the Spirit of God working in their lives. Because what is love other than a byproduct or a fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So when Jesus says they have abandoned their first love, in essence, he was saying to John and to the church at Ephesus, you have abandoned the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yes, you've got some good works. Yes, you can do some great things, but you're doing it in your own power and not under the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to love, especially the unlovely. The power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to forgive. And if you have trouble forgiving someone, it's because it is a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this in my flesh, and neither can you. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I have the power to become the witnesses that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, I sent you out into the world to be salt and light. And salt that loses its flavor, Jesus said, is good for nothing. And by losing its flavor, he's talking about salt, you and me, who have lost the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. He says we are good for nothing. This was the message to Ephesus. This is the message to the church in these last days. But now we want to look at the second church. The church of Smyrna. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to verse 11. The shortest of all the letters to the churches of the seven. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead, and came to life. Jesus reminding them again, I'm not the Jesus that just walked the earth. I'm not the Jesus who's just on the cross. I'm the resurrected Christ now. He says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are what? A synagogue of Satan. Mercy. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil, who? The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. I just want to pause here for a moment. People that bring things into our lives to harm us and hurt us, they're just being used. They're just instruments of the enemy himself. Never lose sight of that. For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and in spiritual places. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, verse 11. We've read this several times throughout the book of Revelation. He who has what? An ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by what? The second death. Let me just take a moment. I want to show you again the map of the seven churches that I showed to you a couple of weeks ago just to give you some perspective here. We see the Isle of Patmos out there in no man's land, right? But then you see Ephesus. That's where the message, the book of Revelation went first. And about 40 miles north of Ephesus is Smyrna, where the church met in the first century. And then they took it around to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and the last place where the book of Revelation was taken to the believers was at the church of Laodicea. Now let me just share with you Smyrna's claim to fame. 
What made them great? First of all, Smyrna was considered to be the glory of all Asia. This was one of the most wealthy of the places where this letter went. Secondly, it was one of the most beautiful places. And thirdly, they had one of the main celebrities of that time, Homer, who wrote the Odyssey. He was from Smyrna. So, but in spite of all this that they were known for, their celebrity, their beauty, their great wealth, the believers were found to be enduring severe poverty and affliction. And as I read this, I thought to myself, how can on one part of this place of Smyrna, there was great wealth, but then right next door in Smyrna, there's a group of believers who are experiencing great poverty. But then I thought right here in our own area, you've got pockets around right here in the DMV, even right here in our community where homes are going for a million dollars. And then just a few blocks over, we have people who are experiencing severe poverty. But the believers at Smyrna, their poverty, their persecution was caused primarily for two reasons. Number one, Smyrna was the center, and I told you this before, of emperor worship. And if you remember, if you did not worship the emperor, if you didn't come once a year to burn incense to Caesar and receive your certificate, your stamp of approval, you could be put in jail, you couldn't buy or sell, and in many cases, their lives were taken. But then the other aspect of the believers from Smyrna, their persecution was greatly intensified by their greatest enemy. And their greatest enemy, like it is in many cases today, is not the enemy from without. It was the enemy from within. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, With a Made-Up Mind. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, turn to 91.9. Um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, which is amazing. Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp helps you discover for yourself where you stand in your beliefs and convictions as he continues with the rest of his message with a made-up mind. It was these group of Jews who had compromised their faith and belief that God was the supreme God and began to bow to Caesar for economic and social prosperity. In other words, these believers at Smyrna not only had to deal with the enemy from without, which were the Romans, 
they had to deal with the enemy from within that looked just like them. Let me just say this. The enemy from within can do more damage than the enemy from without. Yes, they were God's people racially, but not God's people really. And in verse 9 of Revelation 2, Jesus refers to this group of compromised Jews as a synagogue of Satan, a group of unbelieving Jews who persecute their own people. And please don't forget this, because each letter that was sent to the seven churches has a very specific outline. In general, each letter was simply an evaluation. It was Jesus' way of evaluating the condition of the church. But then it was broken down into four parts. And it began with a commendation, Jesus giving them praise for what they're doing. Then it was followed by rebuke. Then he gave the remedy. And lastly, he gave them a reminder by saying, he who has an ear, let him what? Hear. So what was Smyrna's condemnation? Commendation, rather. He says, you may be poor, but you are in essence rich. And those are the same words that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, bless all the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Because when you are poor, you know what it's like to depend on someone else. Amen? When you're rich, that's why Jesus said it is easier for, what, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God. Because when you're rich, when you're wealthy, when you're financially secure, you don't have to depend on too many people. But when you're poor like me. <laughs> Amen. You got to depend on folk. You know what it is to depend. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And what was their rebuke? Jesus says, there are those among you who have compromised their faith and have sold their souls to Satan. But then, as always, and in each letter, Jesus gives a remedy. He doesn't give a problem without the remedy. And in verse 2, 10 of Revelation 2, he says, here's the remedy. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, if this message sounds vaguely familiar, it is because it's the same counsel that Jesus gives in the introduction of the letter in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 when he says, do not be afraid. And as I told you, when you look at that phrase in the original Greek language, it is in the present imperative. So it does not really read, do not be afraid. Jesus was really saying to them, stop being afraid. And then he says it again in Revelation chapter 2 to the believers at Smyrna. Stop being afraid. He is reinforcing through repetition this message that is the crux of Revelation chapter 2 and the letter to the believers at Smyrna. It is the same message that I hear from the Apostle Paul to his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 to 15. I want us to take a look at that quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to verse 15. I hope you're following along in your Bibles or on the screen, on your phone, whatever the case may be. 
He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them what? All, he says what? The Lord delivered me. Don't be afraid because just as God delivered me, he shall deliver you. Verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Please don't miss what he's saying. Not might, not maybe. If you try to live a life that brings honor to God, you will suffer. Not might, will. Verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but you must what? Continue. If you can underline that word continue or highlight it, whatever form you have God's word in, because that's the foundation here. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you what? Wise as opposed to those foolish folk for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, not your works. Listen, we here in North America have been sheltered for quite some time. We really don't know what persecution is. We think persecution is having been sent to your room at night without getting dinner. That's not persecution. Not getting the parking spot you wanted in the grocery store a lot because somebody else took it before you could get it. That's not persecution. But please know this today. You and I have got to come to the grips with the fact that in some degree, in some form or another, because we have decided to live in a way that pleases God, we will suffer persecution. It may be uh, persecution from without, it may be persecution from within, maybe within the body of Christ. How about this? Maybe even within your own family. Because now they don't like the idea that you're trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. It was fine when you did what they wanted you to do, but now you're making a stand for Christ. And some of you, some of us already have been persecuted in our homes for trying to live a godly life. But I can't help what it says in the Old Testament. It's for me and my house. Don't know what your house is doing. But it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Sometimes it's going to come in a subtle form, the persecution. Other times it's going to, it's going to be painfully blatant. It's going to be right in your face and it's going to hurt. Then I remember the words that Jesus said. Jesus said, don't be so surprised that the world hates you. They hate me. So if they hated me, of course they're going to hate you because you follow after me. So the message that Paul shares with Timothy here and Jesus with John through his vision to the church at Smyrna is that what the church needs now more than ever before 
is a made up mind. Well, Pastor, didn't you mean to say somebody who's made up their mind? No. There's a huge difference between someone making up their mind and a made up mind. What's the difference? When you make up your mind, you make a decision, but you don't always stick with it, do you? You make up your mind to lose that last five, 10 pounds. But then eventually you go back to the way you were. You make up your mind, finally I'm gonna get out of debt, I'm gonna pay off every credit card I owe to man. But then a month later you're back to charging. Some of you students, I'm gonna make up my mind this semester, straight A's, and you barely squeak out with a CD plus. <laughs> Just making up our minds is not enough. But when you've got a made up mind, it means that once you've made up your mind, you're determined to keep your mind made up. And that's why Paul said, continue in the way that you've been going. Don't be foolish like those Galatians who began with the spirit, but then thought that they could continue in the flesh. No, be wise. For I'm confident, Paul said, that he who began this good work in you shall complete it. My prayer today is that God's people will determine in their hearts to have a made up mind. Amen. You know, I've been in radio for about 40 years, working at different stations around the country and other things. But I got my start in radio when I was in college. I worked at the college station. That's another story I need to tell you, but I don't have time today because that's only God who did that. But sometimes during my shift, it would get kind of, I would get kind of bored. So I would go through the station's music library and I would pick out songs on LPs, albums. You know what an LP is? Maybe I should have put a picture of it on the screen. See, those were the days that the majority of the music was in the form of a LP that stands for long playing record, 33 and a third. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Or they would come on these eight track cartridges all these big 10-inch reel-to-reels. Pastor, what are you talking about? I just pull out my phone, you know, I just. But every once in a while I would pull out music, even music that wasn't on the playlist. I would sneak it in, especially my last semester before graduation, I didn't care. What could they do to me, right? I remember pulling out this song one day. I wore the song out, I loved it so much. It was a song by Rhonda Green Ramsey. It was titled with a made-up mind. Any of you know that song? Take a look at the lyrics to this song. I'm not gonna attempt to sing it. I want you to stay with us a little longer. But here are the lyrics. With a made up mind, I'm willing to go all the way through. If it costs my life, what? I'm willing to pay the price. I've got what? Heaven in my view, amen? Look at verse two. If it means that I have to walk alone, or that my friends may be few. I'm not gonna worry about what others may, what? Say or do, I've got heaven in my view. That's not a mind that's been made up, that's a person who has a made up mind. They're determined that despite what persecutions, challenges, trials and tests, fall upon them, they're going to remain faithful 
in their walk with Jesus Christ. And that's what is needed today. This message wasn't just for Smyrna. This is the message for the church throughout every age. Make up your mind and keep it made up. Don't allow persecution. Don't allow tragedy. Don't allow tests and trials to turn you around. What the church needs today is a made up mind. Let's just finally say for once and for all, this is it. I'm not going back. Is that your desire today, to have a made up mind and stop vacillating back and forth? One day I'm with God, the next day I'm not. One day I'm with him, the next day I'm cursing him. One day I'm walking away and the next thing I'm walking to, I want a made up mind regardless of what might come my way. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message with a made up mind. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Jesus is saying, despite the fact they are persecuting you, despite the fact that they are punishing you, they will not have the last word. Next week, Charles Tapp continues with part six of this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation with his message, The Last Word. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.